Well, good morning, church. Right off the bat, uh, I want to apologize if I cough on you. I, I was the guy up here hawking away during... I wanted to sing so badly, but every time I did, it would just cough. So um, I'm glad you're here. My name's Justin. If I haven't met you yet, let's change that. Um, I'm a pastor here, and I would just love to get the chance to meet those of you who I don't already know. Um, hopefully, you have your Bibles. If you do, we're, we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. We start this morning into a new series on the book of Ephesians. As a church, over the next couple months, we're going to be walking through verse by verse through this book. It is an incredible book. Here's my prayer. Uh, through this series, my prayer is that you're encouraged. My prayer is that we leave this place understanding, having a better understanding of what it means to be the church. And then three, most importantly, uh, my hope is that most of all, we grow in our understanding and our love, our affection for Jesus. This book is an incredible book. It's been said uh, by Ian Smith. It says, Ephesians is the full gospel from start to finish. In fact, there is no other book in all the Bible that packs in as much gospel per square inch. Love that. Uh, it's my hope that through our time in this book, not only are we going to grow in understanding, but that the things that we know about God, the gospel that you may already know, or the things that we hear, that it goes from head to heart in our time together through this book. And so uh, one thing I wanted to say before we, before we jump in, uh, I wanted, we want to make some resources available to you as we journey through this book. So in the spring, we went through the book of James together as a church, and we noticed that through our time, uh, many of you started to read ahead, kind of do your own reading, wanted to go a little deeper. As a pastor, that's awesome. And uh, in, in order to help you with that, we wanted to make some uh, resources available to you uh, as you kind of go in on your own. We have a blog uh, on stoneoakbible.com slash blog. Uh, and on this, throughout the series, what we're going to do is we're going to post resources that might help you as you walk through this book. Because it's always our goal that not that you come here and get knowledge, but that, that we somehow as a church grow in our ability to actually pick up God's word together and apart. And so these hopefully will help you. Some of these resources are going to be just deeper points of study. There'll be some from me, some from others. Others, though, are going to be book reviews that are just kind of some books that if you're thinking about reading something to go along with, um, we put, I put one up this morning. It's this one. Uh, just great resources to help kind of you as, you as you journey through this book. So church, take advantage of that. Um, I encourage you to. So with all that in mind, with your Bible in hand, let me do this. Let me pray for us, not only for our time this morning, uh, but for our time through this series that God would have his hand on it. Would you pray with me? <coughs> God, we, we thank you. We thank you for your word. I thank you for this incredible treasure of a book that you've given us in Ephesians. As we go through it, I pray that you give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear. I pray that even the things that we've heard before, that you would make them come alive in ways that, they, that we've never felt before through our time. That we leave... Uh, this series, we look back on this time and we say, God, you were working in my life through that time. And that's what we pray. We pray that you just speak and that you give us ears to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let me start with some background for us in Ephesians. 
Uh, Ephesians was written by Paul, or written by Paul to a church in Ephesus that he actually planted. He started this church. We actually have the backstory of Paul planting this church in Acts 19. He steps into the city of Ephesus and he begins to tell everyone about Jesus. Uh, we know in verse 10, this wasn't a short-term kind of thing. He was here for two years, just telling all of the residents uh, the word of the Lord. Now, notice the all there. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? So he stayed there. He worked hard so that all of the people of the city would hear uh, the good news of Jesus. Imagine that kind of impact. Imagine that kind of impact. He was committed to it, and uh, the gospel had a huge impact on the city. So toward the end of that chapter in, in chapter 19, we read that riots were starting in this city because of the impact the gospel had on the city. Uh, not because they were just mad at Paul, but because the people who once made their living off of profiting off of idolatry or other sinful things were going out of business. How, how incredible is that? It would be like the church exploding so much in San Antonio, spreading so much that every adult video store closed. Not because of picketing or rioting or city ordinances, anything like that, but just because there was no business. That's what was going on in, in Ephesians. So the, the gospel was, was, was having a huge impact on this city. That's, that's the kind of church I would want to be a part of. And that's the kind of church this was when it planted. Uh, Paul writes this several years later. So if we fast forward from Acts 19 to Acts 28, he's arrested, he's in prison in Rome. And that's when he sits down to write this extremely beautiful letter to this church. And uh, let's pick it up. We'll start in verse 1. <clears throat> uh, he starts with a, just a standard greeting. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a bit of his standard introduction. If you were to look at some of the other letters that Paul wrote, like Galatians, Philippians, you're going to see uh, a similar introduction. So he's just starting here. He identifies himself. He addresses it to the church, and then he says greetings, and it does not take long for Paul then to drop in. So let's drop in with him. Verse 3 it says, blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Uh, verse 3 is what I'm going to call the foundation verse for us this morning. So get this. Any English teachers in the room? Okay, we have a couple. So verse 3 starts a run-on sentence that lasts two paragraphs. It does not stop. So in, in the English, we put periods here to help us. When Paul wrote this, he just went crazy in a sentence and wrote this run-on sentence that spans 11 verses. Verse 3, the, what we just read, is kind of the foundation of that massive English teacher's worst nightmare sentence. And everything beyond that, verses 4 through 14, kind of helps build up that one verse in verse Three. Uh, and one thing I, I'll say before we, we go further is the first thing about verse three that we need to see is that this is a worship verse. This is a worship verse, uh, blessed meaning just to speak well of, to affirm who God is. So Paul starts in worship. 
uh, to God. It's similar to what we, what we did this morning as we sing. Uh, we affirm, we, we try to bless God by, by singing what he is, who he is, what he has done. Uh, which, by the way, touches on a value that we have at Stone Oak, which is that more often than not, our worship, our singing specifically, is going to be more what we'll call God-centric and less man-centric. And what we mean by that is it's not bad, of course, to sing about the way we feel about what God has done for us, the way we respond, but we believe it starts, like with Paul, with who God is. And from that, everything else flows out of. And so as a church, like Paul, we start by worshiping uh, God. I've heard it said like this. Uh, we're going to say it often this morning. This kind of helps us understanding our foundation verse, uh, and I will explain it. Our theology must become our doxology. Big words, I'll explain it. I only did it because it rhymes, but follow me. How many know what theology is? So theology, theo, God, ology, study of. So study of God. It's very simple. So the study of God must become our what? Our doxology. How many know what doxology is? Doxology is defined as the expression of our praise to God. The expression of our praise. It's praise, it's worship, it's blessing. So our study of God, the learning about who God is, must become our worship of God. Does that make sense? Our theology must become our doxology. Why? Because to know and to see God and who he is is to be overwhelmed by what you've seen and what you know. It starts there. In fact, if you are not overwhelmed by what you know and see about God, it might be because you have not seen and you don't know. It starts with God and it comes out. Paul begins this letter with worship. He says, we bless God who has what? Who has blessed us. Now, the, the remaining run-on sentence is going to unpack what that means to be blessed by God in in Christ. We're going to look at that uh, this morning. Before we do, though, one thing you're going to notice all throughout this letter is two words, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. I think he says it, he says it over 40 times in this letter, and this is not a long letter. So he says it often, in Christ, in Christ. It's really important. What it means is that Christ is the mediator of all these good things that we're going to talk about, meaning that it is through Christ that we are blessed by God with everything that we are about to talk about as we read these words. It's in Christ, in Christ, and we're going to unpack that. Um, but for now, for this foundation verse, I'll say this, and this will set the stage for our run-on sentence. The salvation of God, the blessing of God, the gospel, is given to us by God through Christ, and it's sealed and guaranteed through the Holy Spirit. And we're going to unpack that. It starts with worship, we bless God, and then God blesses us in Christ. And so let's look at verse 4. What we're going to do is we're going to look at, this morning at four of the blessings that, that we just kind of hinted at. We're going to look at four of them, and we're going to start in verse 4. He says this, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So this is the first blessing. 
Something called election. This is the first blessing. To elect means to choose or select someone into a position. The first blessing of God is election in Christ. Now, before we talk through that, um, the first thing that we need to see from this is that he chose me before me. He chose you before you. In other words, it was before us. It was before the scene in Genesis 1 where God spoke it all. Before that, uh, this text says that God had a plan that he had chosen, that he had a plan in Christ to bring you to himself. God had a plan before you, and this is huge because if he chose you before the foundations of the world, before he created the world, if he chose you before that, then his choosing of you is not based on any merit in you. If you think about that, it blows your mind. His choosing of you is not based on any merit in you. Instead, it's the love, it's the grace of God. I've heard it said like this. Uh, I believe Calvin says, the very time of God's election shows grace to be free. Because For what could we have deserved? Or in what did our merit consist before the world was made? We didn't have anything to boast in back then, did we? And God chose us before that. Uh, uh, the second thing is that the reason that God chose you is beyond you. So, meaning this wasn't a roll of the dice left to chance choosing. He didn't stop and say, this person is awesome and this person is not awesome. Or this person will be awesome and this person is less than awesome. He, that's not the basis of his choosing. Instead, it was his goodwill, his love, his purpose and that's the, spiritual, the first spiritual blessing that's ours in Christ. That as a child of God, before creation, he chose you based on nothing you brought to the table. Based on nothing you brought to the table, but based on his good, perfect will, he chose you, he elected you. So think about this and think about some of the implications that come from this. Think about some of the implications. Because since God chose you in love before he created the world... You cannot boast. There's nothing for us to take credit for. So what should our response be? Exactly what we've already talked about. Theology must lead to doxology. This should drive us to worship, to gratitude. Because if we're blessed by God before he even created the world, then, then what do we have to boast in other than we just come to him in gratefulness that he has chosen us. Our response should be needs to be, must be, thankfulness, praise, and adoration. Because he loved us, he chose us, he pursued us, he brought us to salvation in Christ. And in light of that, we, we, we simply have this sense of wonder and gratitude. I want to read you a quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. Uh, one of my favorite uh, heroes of the faith is, is Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he wrote this quote. I, wanna, I think he gets it. He says, I believe in the doctrine of election because I am quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him continues. And I am sure that he chose me before I was born or else he would have never chosen me afterwards. He continues. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me for I never could find any reason in myself why he should have looked upon me with special love. It sums it up beautifully. Sums it up beautifully. I love that. Um, I want to continue. So that's the first blessing. Now the question, what has he chosen us to? Let's continue on. It says this, In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. 
So before the foundations of the world, before Genesis 1 happened, he chose you to be his son or his daughter. I want that to sink in for a little bit. Uh, for, okay, this got personal for me as I thought through this. Uh, I think about my little boy, and I'll never forget the moment I saw him for the first time. I'll never forget that moment when I saw my little boy for the first time. Um, we, we adopted a little boy, and the adoption process was, was really lengthy. It, it always is. Um, and there's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of ups. There's a lot of downs. There's a lot of kind of chaos in the system. You never know what's coming up next. You never know what to expect. Uh, and we were in that process. We were raising money. We were pouring it in prayer. We were just, we were getting excited, you know, about what could be next. Um, and about six months into the process, we received what's called a referral. A referral is a beautiful thing. Um, up to this point, uh, we, were, we were thinking of our potential child. It did, we, he didn't have a face. He didn't have a name. We didn't know him. We just knew we were raising money for this idea that one day we're going to bring home a little boy. And, and we were excited, but we didn't have a face or a name up until the referral which came in the form of an email. You open the email, and for the first time, you get to see a picture of, well, we got to see the picture of the little boy that would one day become our little boy. And that was our, I mean, how crazy is that? I remember opening it up and just, just having this crazy moment of, oh my, there he is. There he is. Um, of course, we accepted that referral, and through the process, something that stuck with me is that this little boy that I was looking at in this picture had no idea who we were. He had no idea of the work we were doing. He had no idea of the, the prayer that was going on to get this little boy. He had no idea of the entire church community at that time who was praying for this little boy. He had no idea about any of that. More than that, he had done nothing to set himself above all the other little boys he had done nothing to make himself more appealing than any of the other boys. Um, he didn't even know us. As we, he didn't even like us the first time we met him. They don't tell you that in adoption. You think it's going to be this beautiful moment, and it, it wasn't. But um, they don't tell you that. And um, here's the point. The love of the father, not the merit of the child, brings adoption. The love of the father. It's the love of the father, not the merit of the child that brings adoption. And it's amazing to understand that I was an orphan. I didn't have a hope. I did not have a, a future. I was vulnerable. And in a moment, because of the love of God, God chose to adopt me into his family forever. If there's ever a thought that should drive us to worship, it should be that one. The second blessing of God is adoption through Christ. The act where God makes us members of his family, chooses us, picks us, and gives us a family. And think about this. this bring this to yourself personally. So when, when Jesus hung on that cross, when he took, taking your sin, your shame, your punishment, he was fulfilling the plan of God from the beginning of time. Fulfilling that plan, that uh, calling you son or daughter. In other words, he did not die for the possibility or the potential of someone like you. No, it's better than that. 
He died for you completely. The reality of you. He didn't die for the potential of you. He died for you fully and completely purchasing my adoption. Paul says, we worship God who has blessed us by choosing us in Christ and adopting us into the family. More than that, if we think about, I go back to my adoption with my little boy, Matthias. Um, The moment Matthias was adopted into our family, that moment, um, he was given all the rights and the privileges of being a little Evans boy. He's given all the rights and the privileges that come along with that. Legally, relationally, he was my son. He was my son. Paul starts this verse by talking about the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. Church, there is no greater thing to comprehend than that. That that we received all the rights and privileges that come along with being a child of God. That we are accepted and adopted into the family of God. That we have an inheritance because we are his. We have security because we are his. We have a place because we are his. We have an identity, a future. We are adopted into the family of God. And this is the last thing I'll say, and then we'll move on to the third blessing. Um, your adoption's complete. It's not waiting for that final thing to come through. It's complete. It's completed that you are his. You are his child, eternally God's son and daughter or daughter through Christ, choosing you before the world was made. And let's, let's move, move on. Verse 6, he says, To the praise of his glorious grace which, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Um, so again, we have been elected, we've been chosen, we've been adopted into the family. Now what? Paul, again, reminds us. Worship. Praise. To the praise of his glorious grace. He points us back to God. He points us back to the glory of God because, again, theology must become our doxology. He reminds us of that. So let's continue. Verse 7, we're going to see the third blessing. Verse, verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our trespasses. Um, there's an old story. I've heard this a couple times. You might have heard this, but it's beautiful in the way it articulates this. Um, there is a young boy. There was a young boy who lived off of the shores of the Great Lakes living right off the water. He loved the water. He lived down at the water. He loved all things water. So sailing, boating, he just loved it. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, he had this fascination that, that drove him as a boy to want to build a model boat. And he wanted this boat to be awesome. So he spent his time crafting it. It took him months to make this model boat, attention to detail, When he was done, he finally got the privilege of taking this model boat, setting it in the water, and watching it navigate the the side of the lake, the shore of the lake. Uh, He did this day in, day out. He loved it. One day, though, a tragedy struck, and a wind gust took his little boat out and out and out until finally he lost. He couldn't see his boat anymore. This kid was obviously distraught. Every day that passed, he would come back looking for this boat. Well, where is it? Where can I find it? Uh, Maybe it's washed out. He looked day in, day out. Could not find it. Never found it until one day. He was walking through the town, and through a window, he saw something that looked really familiar. 
He runs into the store only to find, this is my boat in the window of this store. He looked at the bottom. He saw, this is definitely my boat. I made this boat. So he, he goes to the store owner and says, sir, you don't understand. This is my boat. I made this boat. And the store owner said, that's great, but it's not your boat. Because I bought this boat from a fisherman uh, several months ago. This is my boat. If you want it, you're going to have to buy it. So the little boy is angry, of course, but he knows what he needs to do. He, he goes and he works every job he can work to raise the money to get his boat back. So he works and he works and he works and he works and he works until finally he had enough money. He walks back into the store. He sees his boat there still. He grabs it. He gives the, the store owner the money. Um, and he says, you are twice mine now. Because I made you and because I bought you. This is redemption. It's like that with us. Christ got made us and now has bought us. That all humanity was, was in the slave market of sin. And Jesus comes purchasing us back. Made and bought. Um, like a kid holding a boat. And the third blessing of God, then, is the redemption through Christ, that we are twice his. Um, it's like an old hymn that we're about to sing, uh, that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. This is redemption. This is redemption, and this is ours in Christ, that we are made and bought with a price. It doesn't end there, though, because the second half of that verse um, says that we are forgiven, that we have forgiveness of our sins completely and fully, that the fourth blessing of God is forgiveness in Christ. Sins in your past, no matter how big and gross and nasty, it does not matter that there is forgiveness in Christ. Every sin of your past, uh, your sins of your present in church, the sins of your future, Christ has covered with his blood and you are forgiven in the cross perfectly and completely. Chose you, adopted you, redeemed you, and now has forgiven you in Christ. Um, total forgiveness, by the way, going back to verse three, is, is that not something to celebrate? Is that not something that we just step back and say, thank you, God? No, God who knows all my mess, even my my secret mess, even the mess that's just suppressed in me. He knows me fully and completely, and yet he's forgiven me fully and completely. The question I just had before we go any further is, have you ever felt that assurance through the Holy Spirit that you were forgiven fully and completely? Something I want you to answer in your mind right now. Have you ever felt that assurance that you are forgiven fully and completely through Jesus Christ? Have you felt that weight lifted? My gut feeling is that there are many of us who have not felt that. We struggle enough to forgive ourselves. We struggle enough to forgive all the people who have done just foolish things to us. We struggle to forgive them. And let alone, how on earth could God, perfect, forgive me, messy? How could that happen? But when we experience and know the forgiveness of God, when we know we are twice his, bought and made, our response is 
obvious. It's worship. It's praise. It comes back to verse 3. We worship God who has is, who is blessed us with choosing us, electing us, adopting us, redeeming us, and forgiving us. Does that, I'm full of good news this morning. Which, by the way, the gospel means good news. This is what it's talking about. That literally this news is the best news that we could ever tell anyone. It's the good news that in Christ you are chosen before the foundation of the world. That is amazing. You are adopted into the family of God. Incredible. You are redeemed, meaning you are made and bought through Christ. You are forgiven by God in Christ. Now I want us to finish. We're going to get to verse 10 and we'll push the pause button. It says, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. I love that word, meaning that you... Uh, to bestow something on someone in generous and extravagant quantities. In other words, he gave us grace in extravagant quantities. So according to the riches of his grace, with which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. So he makes known to us the mystery of his word, meaning that the plan of God was a mystery up until Christ. But that through Christ, we now see a glimpse into the mystery. And some of you know exactly what I mean. So, okay, we had some fun this morning. The team who was setting up here, uh, there was the, I always saw them in doctor's offices. It's the only place I ever saw these things. There's these eye puzzles that they had on the wall in doctor's offices, and um, they would always tell you that if you squint and turn your head and cough and jump, that you'll see a dolphin, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, sh do we have that? Yeah. So it's something like this, that if you look at this, you're going to see a dolphin. And don't anyone tell me they can see it, because it's a lie. Like, I've never been able to see it. I think everyone who says they can see it, which, by the way, half of our team this morning said they see it, they're lying. Like, <laughs> it's just not true. Can never see it. But everyone who has claimed to, to see it, um, they, they all say the same thing, that, that once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's obvious. You see it every time you look at the thing. You see the, the thing. You see it, right? Um, they say, once you see it, it's obvious. The mystery of God is a bit like that. The mystery of God in Christ is a lot like that, meaning that, that once you did not know Jesus, maybe you knew about Jesus, but it was really hard to understand why the death of a guy 2,000 years ago makes any difference to you right now. It just, you don't have a category. Why does it matter? Uh, you, you know of it, you don't feel it, you don't see it. And then all of a sudden, your eyes are open to the beautiful and wonderful mystery of God, where in a moment you see the dolphin, and it makes sense, and you see it, that in a moment you understand why Jesus mattered. In that moment, you see the mystery, and all the, the ideas that you had about religion, all of that doesn't matter anymore, because you see what does matter. And in a moment, all of it, you see it. 
You, you experience the joy to be loved by God, chosen by God, created, adopted, bought, forgiven, and sealed as a child of God for all eternity. You see it, you feel it, and you can't unsee it. You just can't unsee it. That we're blessed by God, and this is where that in Christ comes back in. We're blessed by God in Christ, elected in Christ, adopted through Christ, redeemed through Christ, forgiven in Christ. Everything hinges on those two words, in Christ. And so before we go further, let's just ask ourselves the simple question. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Meaning, you don't just know about him, but you know him. You don't just know about the dolphin. You've seen the dolphin. Make sense? The mystery has opened your eyes. If your answer is no, or if you're just, maybe you're here and you're like, I don't know. I just don't know. Um, but you feel in your heart that something, that God might be beginning to open your eyes to who you are in Christ. What Jesus has done for you. If that's you, I want you to hear me. There is no hocus pocus formula to see for the mystery to be unveiled. Here's what it is. It's simply us acknowledging the truth of God and saying, God, I acknowledge, I realize that you have chosen me, that you have adopted me, redeemed me, forgiven me in Christ. That's what it means to place our faith in Christ, meaning that I believe in your gospel. That good news, I believe in it. That's what it is. There's no hocus pocus. It's I believe in that. And if that's you, I want to pray with you this morning. Maybe you're here, though, and there are others in this room that um, this message may be working to cure what we refer to lovingly as gospel amnesia. Gospel amnesia, meaning that you, you know and have experienced the gospel. Like you, you've seen it. You're, uh, you've seen, keep going back to the dolphin. You've seen the dolphin. You know you are in Christ. You walk with Christ. But as the hymn that we sang, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God that I love. And that's ring, is ring true, because if you're honest, has anyone been distracted? Just feel like life is going 100 miles an hour, and you're just being tossed around by, by work, by children, by all of the demands of life, just tossed and tossed and tossed around. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, I feel dry. Oh, I feel dry. I want to give us a glimpse uh, a little bit into our beloved church in Ephesus because that's what happened to them. So we heard the way they were planted. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. The cities changed. It was great. Well, we also get a glimpse into what their future is. In Revelation uh, chapter 2, Jesus is addressing several churches and he's giving them progress reports. He's saying, you've done this well, but you really stunk it up here. You've done this well, but eh, not that. You need to repent here. So he's giving churches a progress report. The first church just so happens to be our church in Ephesus. I just want to look at some of the things he, he says. So in verse 2, he says, I know your works, your toil. You cannot bear with those who are, are evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. You've endured patiently. You have not grown weary. 
If you stop there, this church is awesome. This church is, I want to be a part of that church. They're nailing it. They know their doctrine enough to even call it out when it's wrong. Verse 4, but I have this against you. What happened? That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. This church knew it. They knew the gospel. They, they were calling out false teachers. They were working hard. They were doing the work. All amazing. Jesus says, you are doing this well, but here's the one thing. You've lost your love. You're suffering from what we call gospel amnesia, where you've lost that affection. Um, and he says, repent. Remember from where you've fallen. Repent. And for some of you, that's where we find ourselves. One way to know that's where you find yourself is if you can read Ephesians 1 and have no emotional reaction to the good news that just leaps off these pages. It's a good sign to turn and to repent and to remember. And I believe, I honestly believe that one of the things through this series and one of the things honestly this morning through our time together that God wants to do in your life is break through some gospel amnesia to remind us of the love that we had at first. Um, to stir our affections for Jesus. When all of a sudden you sit here and you literally can do nothing but worship him. Because when you think what he's done, my only response that makes sense to me is to say thank you. The only thing that makes sense is to say thank you. Like Paul, that our theology becomes our doxology. What we know about God, that we have been chosen, adopted, redeemed, and forgiven. What we know about God, suddenly it goes from here and it sinks down. And no matter how long you've walked with Jesus, sometimes we need to sink things down. We need to sink things down. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Jesus. It's time to sink things down. That's my prayer for us as we look at this, this text this morning. And so regardless of where you are, can I pray with you and pray for you this morning? Yeah, we, we come to this beautiful long sentence of good news. The good news that you had for us couldn't even fit in a sentence, and it just goes on and on, and we are encountering it, and we are overwhelmed by it because of all the things that you have done, and this is just the beginning. No matter who we are, where we are this morning, God, would you take what we know and make it travel about a foot down to our heart, that we feel it, that we experience it, that we have affections for your son. God, stir our hearts for your good news. Forgive us if our good news has become anything less than good. 
And help us to once again see it for what it is, and that is the best news, the greatest news that we could possibly know, that we could possibly be telling. God, every week that we come together, help us to rally around this. God, for those of us who are here in this room, who have never acknowledged your Son as their Savior, I pray that this is the moment that you open eyes, that you open our hearts, that you open our ears to the fact that we have been chosen and you move us because we've been adopted, that you overwhelm us because you not only made us but then you purchased us. And that then you just flatten us on our face when we realize we've been forgiven. And I pray that everyone here who is, is in that place, that you bring a peace into their hearts. That this becomes the beginning of the work that you are doing in them. And God, for those of us in this room who maybe we've known you, followed after you for many, many years, and we are here and we are distracted and dry. Let this morning mark the moment where once again we feel your joy. We feel your good message. We feel your good news. We feel the fact that we are saved by your grace, that what we know about you turns into us knowing you. It changes from the inside out for those of us who have lost our first love, we listen to your words in Revelation 4, or 2, 4, and we turn, we repent, and we remember. God, that's the heart of this church this morning. God, continue to speak. As now as we sing about your redemption, Help it to just sink even deeper into our hearts. And let that pour out in worship. In Jesus' name.